Sup, you beautiful bastards. It's Thursday. You're watching the Philip DeFranco show. I'm stuck inside. I'm snowed in right now. It's so cold. So I decided since I'm stuck inside, might as well give you a jumbo show. We've got a lot of news to talk about. Today, we're talking about Satan being the victim of a hate crime. Why there's OnlyFans mom situations got me disturbed. Syphilis is popping. We deep dive into why podcasting as we know it may be dead. We're breaking down that wild Senate hearing yesterday regarding child safety. And then there's even more. But Let's start with this. How do we protect children online? Are we failing them right now? Who is responsible? Those are just some of the big questions at the center of yesterday's Senate hearing, which you can watch, but I will warn you it is a four hour hearing. But lucky for you, we're gonna break down some key highlights. So let's paint the picture. You had five big tech CEOs appearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. They were having a hearing about online child safety. You had Meta's Mark Zuckerberg, TikTok show, Chu, X's Linda Yaccarino, Snap's Evan Spiegel, and Discord's Jason Sitron. Right, and all those platforms have been accused of facilitating child exploitation despite their very public promises to crack down on it. Also, you may have noticed YouTube wasn't there, which you might find odd because they have their own share of controversy regarding child safety on their platform. But with that, you had a spokesperson for the Senate committee saying, hey, these five companies were picked because they have a diverse set of products and they take several approaches to policing child sex material. But notably adding, there are no heroes in this space. There are, sadly, a laundry list of company CEOs that could sit at the witness table. Just because a company is not testifying does not mean they are off the hook. Though going back to YouTube, their CEO, Neil Mohan, should be thankful he was not one of these five. Because you could tell right out the gate, this was going to be a mixture of like understandable grilling and circus. I mean, this is one of the few topics where you have people on both sides of the aisle angry and actually at the same thing. And I mean, hell, three of them didn't even want to be there. With Senator Durbin making note at the beginning that only Chu and Zuckerberg were there voluntarily. Sitron, Spiegel, and Yaccarino had to be hit with subpoenas. Hell, U.S. Marshals had to get involved with the CEO of Discord. At one point, you had Senator Lindsey Graham saying, Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. Oh, it was wild as even though they were the two that were there voluntarily, Zuckerberg and Chu took the most heat. Right? Both of them getting absolutely grilled regarding the number of abuse incidents on their platform. And all of that was playing out while you had the parents of the children whose deaths have been tied to social media, either through drugs or harassment or other threats, filling out the audience with photos of their children reacting to what was happening in front of them live. And at one point, you even had Senator Josh Hawley pushing and prodding Zuckerberg into a public statement to those parents right there. So let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I, I, I'm sorry for everything that you have all gone through. It's terrible. No one should have to go through the things that your families have, have suffered. And this is why we invest so much and are going to continue doing industry-leading efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. For a number, that apology fell short. Right, one mom whose son committed suicide after being sexually exploited on Facebook Messenger, she told the New York Times that she's been waiting two years for a response from Meta about his death, saying the companies are not doing enough, enough talking. And TikTok also faced a number of inquiries regarding their connection with China, though it also resulted in moments where you had the CEO having to repeatedly remind senators that he himself is not Chinese. Of what nation are you a citizen? Singapore. Are you a citizen of any other nation? No, Senator. Have you ever applied for Chinese citizenship? Senator, I served my nation in Singapore. I, no, I, I did not. Do you have a Singaporean passport? Yes, and I served my military for two, two and a half years in Singapore. Do you, have any other, do you have any other passports from any other nations? No, Senator. Have you ever been a member of the Chinese Communist Party? Senator, I'm Singaporean. No. 
Have you ever been associated or affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party? No, Senator. Again, okay. I'm Singaporean. Also, a major topic of this conversation during the hearing was whether these CEOs would support proposed legislation like the Kids Online Safety Act, or COSA, which would notably require online services like social media platforms or messaging sites to take, quote, reasonable measures to prevent harm to kids on their sites. And harm here, including things like online bullying, harassment, sexual exploitation, self-harm, and predatory marketing. And while two of the five there did express support for COSA, Zuckerberg, Chu, and Citron did not. Instead, arguing that while the direction is good, saying that COSA has some really broad restrictions that may go against free speech on their platform. Platform. And notably, the CEOs aren't the only one who have taken issue with COSA. With many teenagers voicing their opinions as they listen to the hearing on Discord with one posting, these senators don't actually care about protecting kids, they just want to control information. Right? And that idea is part of the opposition to COSA, with more than 100 human rights and LGBTQ groups having spoken out against it, along with First Amendment lawyers and organizations focused on protecting free speech, arguing that COSA would just further endanger minors and place pretty hefty restrictions on free speech and expression. But that's not all. Another big topic of discussion during the hearing was Section 230. Right? And that, because Section 230 protects online service providers like them from lawsuits over what's posted on their platforms. And it notably, so far, has survived court challenges, legal pushes, and help, even an executive order. But at this hearing, we saw senators once again taking aim at it. Senator Dick Durbin saying in his opening remarks that Congress should share the blame with tech companies for failing to protect children online, and saying, The past 30 years, Section 230 has remained largely unchanged, allowing big tech to grow into the most profitable industry in the history of capitalism, without fear of liability for unsafe practices. That has to change. You also had Lindsey Graham adding to that. Social media companies, as they are currently designed and operate, are dangerous products. They're destroying lives, threatening democracy itself. These companies must be reined in or the worst is yet to come. And of the tech CEOs, he said, Of all the people in America we could give blanket liability protection to, this would be the last group I would pick. It is now time to repeal Section 230. But then all of that brings us back to how we opened this. What we saw yesterday was a mixture of understandable and important grilling and circus. But what about actual change? Right, congressional hearings on social media have become like a nearly annual event for years. And while yesterday people got clips and viral moments, what about actual legislation or even fucking movement towards legislation? Because like the times before we left this hearing without an immediately clear resolution or plan of action. And I found myself agreeing with something that Dave Pell wrote about this. With him saying, I'm glad to see pressure on the platforms to be safer, especially for kids. It was good to see Zuckerberg apologize to the families who have been harmed by Meta's lax oversight, saying, I hope Congress surprises us and gets a decent law passed. But then adding, but it's just a complete farce to watch some of these congressional clowns using the hearing to make themselves go viral on the very same platforms they're attacking and the ones they use to spread the lies, disinformation, and personal attacks that are destroying the fabric of our country. It's nauseating to listen to some of these dysfunctional blowhards, enablers, insurrection supporters, and democracy sellouts who can barely keep the nation's light on, much less pass legislation, spending the day trolling the heads of the social networks they utterly failed to regulate. Yes, yes, a fucking thousand times yes. Because if there is blood on the hands of these social media CEOs, there is also a measure of blood on the hands of Congress. And depending on the individual Congress members, uh, a different amount of blood. And then I would like for y'all to meet Michelle Klein. She's a mom in Central Florida who just got banned from dropping her own kid off at school at this private Christian school. And Michelle saying that the school actually makes her park across the street to walk her kids in. Which is based off that description, I was ready to be outraged and be like, what is up with this school? And then I found the reason out and I was like, oh yes, it makes complete sense. Michelle, as it turns turns out has an OnlyFans, which, hey, we're very sex positive on this show. Live and let live. But Michelle doesn't just have an OnlyFans, she advertises her OnlyFans link 
on her vehicle. And not like a little bit, a lot of bit. But here's the thing, not every OnlyFans is equal. There is explicit content. There's also safer work content. Well, it's definitely linked to, you know, explicit content, adult content for sure. Damn it, Michelle. Also, before you say, Michelle, why don't you just take it off your car? She's already responded to those questions and demands. And that would seem like an easy thing to say, for sure. But for me, you know, it's, it supports my family. This provides a, a very comfortable way of life for us and it's legal. You know, I pay taxes just like everyone else. I'm not breaking the law. I just offended people. Is that not breaking the law? It sounds like it should be breaking the law. Because at the end of the day, here's the situation we're talking about. You are going onto school property with an advertisement for porn, not just at a private Christian school, but a school for children. And again, I'm a sex positive person, but it is insane to me that you do not see the issue, or maybe you do see the issue and you're like, fuck it, do not care, free promo. And I don't think it's crazy to think that's her mindset because she's acting like a ridiculous, selfish little goblin. Also, this poor fucking kid. Imagine getting dropped off in your mom's porn car. You're getting dropped off in the bang bus. And everyone at this school, your friends, your enemies, the parents, the teachers, they see this link. And there's no separation. There's no, oh, she does something in private. It's tied to you visually, publicly. That kid's gotta be fighting for their life every single day. The audacity and selfishness of this woman, because by the way, you know how the school offered her the solution of, you know, just park across the street, walk across. It appears that she's not completely against the idea of parking across the street, but she told a news station she wants the school to supply a person to walk her kids from across the street. You can't even do it yourself. You're trash. You're a trash person. It's not because you have an OnlyFans. It's all the other stuff around it and all the shit coming out of your mouth. And then we'll get to more news in just a second. But, you know, no matter how you look at it in general, compromise is just a part of life. You know, I'm a true believer that compromise is a great path to happiness, but you should never compromise when it comes to your health. And this starts with finding the right doctor for you. Someone who you feel comfortable with, prioritizes your health needs, and a big one. You'll know before you book if they take your insurance. And I've got you covered here thanks to the fantastic sponsor of today's show, ZocDoc. They got you covered. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 72 hours, sometimes scoring same-day appointments with doctors who have verified reviews from real patients, not bots, actual people. And the app is so easy to use, and it's not just about finding your general practitioner. Have you or a loved one been ignoring nagging pains, favoring that knee for months, or having suspicious-looking spots? Well, you can find specialists too, dermatologists, dentists, psychiatrists, eye doctors. I could go on. Just go to ZocDoc.com slash Phil and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-Z-D-O-Z dot com slash Phil. ZocDoc.com slash Phil. And then this next story, I got a special guest for you. Me, uh, but from a few weeks ago. It's about a news story that starts with this question. Do you watch this show or do you just uh, listen to this show? Because right? I've seen a number of people say they listen to me like it's a podcast. You know what? We've always been video first. Uh, you can pretty much download the show wherever they have podcasts. Even my sales team, they, they talk about us like we're a podcast. It just makes things easier. But I ask that because there's a question being debated right now, and that is, is the podcast boom over? Because as we saw podcasting growing and then absolutely booming during the pandemic, if you've been paying attention recently, there have been some concerning headlines here and there. Shows getting canceled, deals imploding, people getting fired. I mean, Spotify just laid off 1,500 people, nearly a fifth of its staff. You know, when that happened, you had senior culture writer Amanda Silberling writing for TechCrunch that the podcast boom is over and this week's news is evidence. So adding as a whole, the podcast industry didn't fail. It's just that Spotify took a billion dollar swing and whiffed and now podcasters have to navigate the fallout. You know, I've been very interested in 
this situation, especially because of the, the proximity. It's, it's adjacent, it's close, it's not fully the same thing as what I do. And so we actually reached out directly to Amanda to try to get some insight, starting with how podcasts boomed to begin with. Before Spotify got super invested in podcasts, it was a very kind of disjointed space. So you'd have a lot of small studios and public radio stations that were just making podcasts, slowly getting advertisers, using them as ways to like engage their fan bases. Shows like Serial were coming out, which became this like massive viral success. And then This American Life has been around for a long time. And there were kind of these like prestige shows that are a gateway for people into podcasting. Or you also had shows like Planet Money and Radio Lab, but as a defector notes, those are more radio shows just uploaded to the internet. And of course, you had early shows centered around personalities like Mark Marin, Dan Savage, and Chris Hardwick, but those were relatively small and underdeveloped at the time. And so in 2014, a different company transformed podcasting into what it is today, Gimlet Media. And its founder, Alex Bloomberg, created a very popular, very meta podcast called Startup, right, documenting the process of creating a podcast company, with them pitching the idea to a billionaire investor in the first episode, then using the money to hire staff, and then putting out some of the most iconic shows in the industry. Things like Reply All, The Nod, Heavyweight, Mystery Show, Every Little Thing, and other series that pushed the bar on what audio storytelling could be. But then Startup actually ended in 2019, right? And this is podcasting entered a whole new stage of development, the boom. With Spotify buying Gimlet Media and Anchor FM, a platform where many creators actually make their podcasts in the first place for $340 million. And I mean, their appetite seemed endless. Going on to buy more podcast companies like The Ringer, Parcast, and Megaphone. And then going into highly publicized eight or nine figure deals. I mean, they're throwing it at Joe Rogan, Alex Cooper, Harry and Megan, Barack and Michelle. Though, also notably, those last two deals fell through. But main thing, by 2021, Spotify had stolen the top spot from Apple as the number one U.S. podcasting platform. And I mean, that wasn't just a big deal for the company, but for the industry as a whole. Like, podcasts were kind of synonymous with Apple for a while because the pod and podcast is literally from iPod, but there wasn't a lot of innovation in the Apple Podcasts app itself. And once Spotify kind of took this approach of wanting not just to own music streaming, but also to own audio across the board, including podcasts, Spotify made the industry a bit more uh, competitive. You know, Spotify, they quickly ran into problems that its competitors didn't really have to worry about. Like for one, and it's a big one, making money. Because as it turns out, at least in certain ways, music and podcasts are two products that are very hard to make profitable. And so for companies like Apple, Amazon, or Google, right, they can afford to lose money on this type of content. It supplements their larger brand. If you're Google, it gives you more places to throw ads. But if you're largely just a standalone audio company like Spotify, there's so much more pressure to figure out how to make music and podcasts profitable on their own. And so far, five years in, they haven't done it. With, for example, in the first nine months, months of this year, the company losing $462 million, which is also notable because that's double their losses during the same time period in 2022. Though initially, at least, right, that wasn't even the goal, as Amanda explained. Generally, these big businesses prioritize growth over making a profit. Companies like Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, like things that you have on your phone and use every day, often are not profitable or are like very rarely profitable. The idea in the boardroom is okay, well, if you acquire this company or if you invest like hundreds of millions of dollars into getting Joe Rogan exclusively on your app, 
then this is going to create more value over time. And then in the long run, you will make more of a profit. You know, also over the past few years, we've seen Wall Street investors kind of getting tired of the growth first strategy from Silicon Valley. You know, we've seen an increase in pressuring tech executives to start trying to turn a profit. And so all of a sudden, it's not shocking to see Spotify whipping out the bone saw with them starting to cut off where they think they can, laying off or reassigning some 5% of its podcasting division in October of 2022, according to a source who spoke to the Times. Also canceling 11 original shows that the company said weren't performing well enough. And of course, that was just the start. We saw three more big rounds of layoffs in 2023. 600 workers in January, then 200 more in June, then 1,500 in December. And if you ask the CEO, he'll say it had to be done. Podcasting acquisitions were simply bad investments. But this is the Gimlet and Parcast unions have a different perspective, with them putting out a joint statement right after the earliest layoffs, where they blame Spotify itself for poor listener numbers, saying that the company's decision to make most of the newly acquired studio shows exclusive to the Spotify platform in 2019, it actually caused their audiences to plummet by as much as three quarters in some cases, and going on to claim that the company did little or nothing to staunch the bleeding, saying shows language without marketing support, and teams are not given clear audience goals to meet. But with whoever is to blame, it is clear that the studios struggled under Spotify's leadership. With of all things, Reply All, the jewel in Gimlet's crown coming to an ugly end in 2022, and that after both the show's original co-hosts resigned. One of them seemingly on his own terms, and the other because of a scandal involving the union and workplace diversity. And there wasn't really a comparable show to replace it, especially because Gimlet hasn't put out any equivalent hit since the early days before Spotify. But, you know, all that said, while Spotify is sometimes used as like a, an index regarding the, the health of the podcasting industry as a whole, it's important to remember that while is podcasting dying is a strong hook, as Amanda explained, podcasting is far from dead. I think the good news is that independent podcasters I've talked to have said that Spotify's ups and downs haven't really affected them because if they have their own business coming from things like Patreon memberships or merch sales or ad sales, Spotify laying off a bunch of people doesn't really affect them. For example, a report last March from Edison Research finding that podcasting reached 90 million weekly listeners last year. We're talking 31% of Americans up from 7% a decade ago. I mean, these are the highest numbers ever recorded and revenues are only projected to go up. And this is, I mean, podcasts are now on Twitter spaces. YouTube has its own podcast destination page, but it is also harder and easier to grow than ever. Because according to one count, all of those views are dispersed among over 3 million podcasts. I mean, you've got upwards of 180 million episodes out there in the world right now, and more are being produced every single day. So as this industry matures, Amanda thinks that we're likely going to see more low-budget amateur content, as well as... Celebrity-hosted shows can often be a good bet. Like, Jeanette McCurdy just had a new show come out that's been, like, topping the podcast charts. I also think that conversational talk shows have been doing really well. If you're making a show that is doing like really deep investigative journalism and really well-produced audio with like original music, they're really hard to make. And so for the sea of small podcasters trying to figure out how to wade through all these structural changes, right? Their, their dilemma is the same as tons of other creators on similar platforms. When given the opportunity, do you take corporate money, you try to grow under their shadow, or do you hold on to your brand and you roll the dice? So for me personally, like I just, I just want to say like, we wouldn't be able to put out this show every day without the generous support of the U.S. to Defense Department. I'm kidding. You know, I sold my show and then bought my show back like a long time ago. My belief is staying independent is the best fucking thing in the world, or unless they're going to give you some sort of Alex Cooper contract. But that's also why I'm incredibly against the uh, the all or nothing people, the types that are like, I'm going to be a YouTuber. I'm going to be a podcaster. I'm quitting my job right now. Build it up. Play it safe. Allows you to grow. Stay safe. Get your reps in. I always say I've done a news show for 16 years and I've done it well for four, maybe two. But also with this, you know, while Amanda said that while one of these paths can get you some success, the real challenge isn't getting something to pop. It's can you stay relevant for the long run, like 10 plus years? I think it is possible, but a lot of the creators that you see being successful in that 
are creators that have retained their IP for a long time. If you are on Instagram and have a million followers and then your Instagram gets deleted, you don't have the email addresses for your million followers. But then newer platforms like Substack and Patreon make it a point to have you own the email list of all of your subscribers. So I think that creators are gravitating towards having more control in that way. But still, you can't get around the necessity of being on TikTok and Instagram. And if you have a thousand listeners, you don't know who those people are. Like you just see a number. Now with us, as you know, it's in our article, we're seeing worker-owned media outlets crop up like Defector, Aftermath, and 404 Media, or with those often founded and staffed by journalists who have been repeatedly laid off from mismanaged media companies. And already we've seen the podcast studio Maximum Fun adopting a worker co-op month, which Amanda also predicts will spread further as listeners lose trust in giants like Spotify. And I actually have to add to what Phil from several weeks ago was saying, because the news hasn't stopped and we're starting to see giants like Spotify changing the way they're taking on and distributing podcasts. With now, as of yesterday, Alex Cooper's Call Her Daddy podcast no longer being exclusive to the platform. And not like in a little bit. When the show aired its newest episode, it went live on all audio platforms with the back catalog also getting freed up. With the only catch being that Spotify still holds the right to the video of the podcast. Right? So that footage is going to be making its way to YouTube or other major platforms. But of course, given the reality of the internet, you still have clips going viral on TikTok. And as far as why this move was made, you had Alex Cooper releasing a statement saying, For years now, Daddy Gang has been asking to share their favorite Call Her Daddy episodes with friends who aren't on Spotify. And notably, she's not alone here. The only exclusive show Spotify still has right now is Joe Rogan. But also, that contract's up for renewal this year. But as far as why maybe Spotify's okay with this, because right, this is something that could be framed as a defeat for them. But this is you have places like The Verge framing it as like, you know, this platform has more to gain from getting the ad dollars that come from wider distribution than whatever less tangible platform benefit comes from exclusivity. Right, there's more ad dollars to be spread around, creators get to reach a wider audience. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out both for Spotify and the creators who are no longer exclusive. Though also, worth noting like the, the whole fight over exclusivity or being everywhere. It's not just podcasting. With most recently, the streaming personality Pokimane announcing that she is leaving Twitch and actually on her podcast saying that it had to do with frustrations regarding exclusivity deals. Though there was definitely an airing out of specific grievances regarding Twitch. Saying that right now, she doesn't want to sign a deal that ties her down to any one platform. But with all that said, I, I gotta pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts regarding the future of podcasting, exclusivity deals, or really anything we touched on here? And then we'll get back to more news in just a second. But you know, growing up, my dad would tell me things like, Phil, don't reinvent the wheel. Well, it turns out, love you, dad, but bad advice. There's actually plenty of room to reinvent the wheel. I'm talking about the literal wheel as we know it. And in fact, I got so intrigued by this concept, I decided to invest in the sponsor of today's show, Global Air Cylinder Wheel. Their air suspension wheel is a groundbreaking, cost-saving, eco-friendly technology designed to replace extremely pollutive rubber tire wheels. And here's a bit about how it works. Right, when braking, energy is stored in the cylinders and converted into kinetic energy when starting to roll again. Reduce rolling resistance, reduces energy consumption, which means less fuel burn, fewer emissions, and a significant extension of EV battery ranges. This mechanical wheel improves driving range, eliminates flat tires, which also reduces the need for spare tires, making it possible to dramatically reduce pollution from rubber tires dumped into landfills in our oceans. And if they can bring this technology to everyday consumers, the environmental impacts could be massive. I mean, it's hard to fully fathom the potential environmental and economic benefits of ditching dirty rubber tires for air suspension wheels, which is also why it's no wonder that Time Magazine named them one of the best inventions of 2023. And if you want to learn more about the future of wheels and what that should look like, just click on the link in the description and subscribe to the Daily Dip newsletter to stay tuned as we track their progress. And then Satan was just the victim of a hate crime. And it's all connected to Michael Cassidy. He's a Navy Reserve veteran, a former congressional candidate from Mississippi. And just back in December, he saw something that got his blood boiling. A giant statue of Baphomet, the winged goat-headed pagan god that was just chilling on the ground
grounds of the Iowa State Capitol. Which for some context here, this is something that the Satanic Temple does to protest religious displays, are usually Christian ones that are in the public square. But them also doing stuff like forming after-school Satan clubs in public schools where Christian clubs are present, handing out Satanic coloring books in districts where evangelicals give kids Bibles, and all that while flying the Satanic flag outside city hall buildings that have a Christian flag. Right, so the Iowa statue apparently came as a protest against state rules allowing religious displays in the Capitol during the holidays. And with this, Governor Kim Reynolds saying while she personally objects to it, that is technically their First Amendment right. But Cassidy uh, seemingly felt different, because one day he just marched up straight to the statue and, as he put it, pulled its head off for the temple, saying that the statue was destroyed beyond repair. And then, according to Cassidy himself, he walked proudly over to the police station and informed them what he just did, with the cops initially just citing him for fourth-degree criminal mischief and releasing him. But then he went on a big old media tour, including to Fox News, and made it very clear that his motives were religious. It offended me. It touched a nerve. It was, uh, you know, righteous indignation. I'd call it, you know, Christian uh, civil disobedience. And so this week, Polk County prosecutors charged him under the state's hate crime statute, which means this is a crime that could land him in prison for up to five years. Right, and so after this news broke, we saw an avalanche of angry right-wing commentators jumping on this story, with one of the most viral responses coming from the activist account Libs of TikTok, who wrote, violent activists tore down dozens of statues, including Columbus, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington. None were held accountable or charged with a hate crime. Michael Cassidy knocks over a Satan statue made out of household items and gets charged with a hate crime. Welcome to America's two-tier justice system. The police state made it clear who they worship. Wokeness and Satanism is the new religion. With then reply guy Elon Musk jumping in to ask, what has become of America? And to that, the answer from Satan's defenders is pretty clear, because the Satanic Temple has actually been formally recognized as a legitimate religion like any other by the federal government for several years now. So they argue that what Cassidy did is fundamentally different than what, let's say, BLM protesters did to some other statues. One targeted a religion, the other did not. And with that, you had Lucian Greaves, the temple's co-founder, telling CNN, well, they had prayer rallies, they protested us, they, uh, they, they denigrated the local government for following the law and opening the public forum to all viewers, and they still felt the need to tear down the statues. It's cowardice dressed up as heroism. When politicians do this, and my understanding is that this is somebody running for public office, they're really yielding to the whims of an uncomprehending, undemocratic mob, and they don't have the spine to uh, stand up for the values that they swore to uphold when they took an oath of office. And so while we watch all this play out, I gotta ask, what are your thoughts about this? What are your thoughts regarding what Cassidy did? What are your thoughts regarding the charges, the potential jail time? What do you think's gonna happen? I'd love to hear from you. And then, you may not know this, but Billy Joel and Syphilis have something in common. They have come back stronger than ever. <gasps> With Billy releasing his first song in 30 years today called Turn the Lights Back On, absolutely beautiful song, and syphilis, and, and... <laughs> and syphilis in the four years leading up to 2022, with cases among Americans exploding by nearly 80%. And we know that now, thanks to this new batch of data that was just released by the CDC yesterday. With the total number of cases reaching more than 207,000 in 2022. That is the highest number since 1950. And that's fucking terrifying, because while this infection is easily cured with antibiotics, if left untreated, it can cause damage to the heart, the brain, it can cause blindness, deafness, and paralysis. Also, if a mom has it, she can transmit it to her fetus, which can cause, I mean, we're talking about miscarriage, infant death, lifelong medical 
medical issues. And this is a reality that many people are experiencing. Now, in 2022, over 3,700 babies were born with syphilis. That's a 937% spike over the previous decade. And it's believed that the numbers for 2023 are gonna be even worse. And as far as why this is happening, there's actually several reasons. First has to do with the pandemic. That caused people to get tested less. It also resulted in resources going more towards COVID. But that's only recently. Like these numbers have been going up since 2002. And so you have experts blaming a whole number of things. Increases in substance abuse tied to risky sexual behavior, decreases in condom use, ongoing social and economic conditions, and reduction in STI services at the state and local levels. Because if you have less access to healthcare or you're on a tighter budget, you might not get screened for STIs at all, or at least less often. Because STIs often don't show any symptoms, you could be spreading one without even knowing it. And what's really frustrating is that when you actually look into the history of all of this, like none of this was inevitable. We've actually come close to completely eliminating syphilis multiple times in the past. And arguably, we could do it again, right? Like from its peak in 1990, cases plummeted nearly 90% to just 6,000 at the end of the decade. With that largely thanks to an aggressive campaign by the CDC to detect and treat outbreaks. And actually on that note, the Biden White House just created a federal task force under the HHS to tackle this epidemic. But the last thing with this specific news that I'll leave you on is kind of a positive. Because while syphilis is spreading, other STIs aren't. With gonorrhea cases declining for the first time in at least a decade and chlamydia cases leveling off. Though, uh, again, silver lining, there were still about 2.3 million reported cases of both. So I guess the main point of this story is get tested. You know, because if you're gonna be uh, baking that potato, buttering that biscuit, putting that bread in the oven, I don't know why all these have to do with food. <laughs> doing squat thrusts in the cucumber patch, I'm done. You should be doing it safely, I'm just looking out for you. And then finally today, let's end this big honking show with Yesterday Today. We dive into the comments on yesterday's video and see what y'all had to say about it. Starting with all the trauma dumping on Elmo. We had Madison saying, as horrible as everything is, it was kind of sweet to see a bunch of Sesame Street characters chime in and offer kindness and some mental health services and ideas to people. And to Madison or anyone else, I, I want you to hold on to that 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 sliver of happy feeling. Because as Yachas uh, pointed out yesterday, man, feels like these shows are getting darker and darker. Which one, uh, I agree with. And two, uh, that is not intentional. Because as Gary pointed out, you can't blame a mirror for looking worse. Also, a perfect off-ramp to this, regarding the story about the guy who allegedly beheaded his father and then ranted in a 14-minute YouTube video, Local Menace comments, it really goes to show how far the delusion has come that we now have people defending someone who beheaded his father and showed off the head on social media. Yeah, just ignoring the fact that he showed off a crime he committed because he said things I agree with. You also have people like Dazzy coming at it from a different angle, saying the unfortunate thing that so many politicians do not realize is that you cannot have mental health care without universal health care. So many people cannot afford the weekly, bi-weekly therapy, psychiatry, and medications they need, even if they are insured. Going through the initial trial and error of this myself over five years, and then the maintenance of it for another five, the costs have been unbelievable. And saying there is a reason we have a crisis in America for not only mental health, but homelessness. The two are intertwined. Politicians can feel better and like they are helping by throwing all the money away into random spaces, but they're not addressing the root cause. You cannot sustain care of what you cannot afford. And that is where your Thursday jumbo-sized show is gonna end. But do not fret, because for more news you need to know that you might have missed, I got you covered right here or in the links down below. And just make sure you subscribe, because my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you soon.